This morning's reading is uh, 2 Peter, chapter 2, and is on page 1223 of the Church Bibles. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning, They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These men are springs without water, and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. 
it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Do keep that passage uh, open. Uh, it's been a while since I've uh, had the privilege of uh, preaching in the morning, so it's lovely to be back. And what a passage. What a passage. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a bit of an overview. And as you go through, there'll be loads of details. You think, what's that about? What's that about? Well, Clive will be on the door at the end, and uh, he would love to chat about all those things with you. Um, I've given you a a handout on the back of your service sheet as well, so hopefully that will help you to follow along. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we thank you uh, for your words, and we do pray that as we spend a short time now uh, reading it and hearing it, you might help us to understand. Teach us, and we pray that we would leave here rejoicing in Christ and more equipped to serve him in your world. Amen. Amen. Well, today's cultural narrative is one of freedom, isn't it? Self-expression, self-actualization, become who you are. And I think the narrative is this, in order to be happy, we must be our true selves. And nothing should be allowed to get in the way of that. And the sad reality is that it's not hard to see how that culture has shaped the church. It's not hard to find churches and teachers that deny the apostolic teaching in here, arguing that it's no longer relative, uh, relevant to our cultural narrative. It's not hard to find churches and te- teachers who, who teach that of uh, faith in God's that offers grace and forgiveness without any call to radical discipleship or sacrificial service. In short, it's a teaching that says, love God and do what you want. Be who you are. Now sadly, that kind of teaching isn't new. It's been around since Peter's time. And it starts with the leaders. Just look at chapter 2, verse 1. Just as there were false prophets in the Old Testament, so in Peter's time and ever since, there have been false teachers among God's people. And so Peter writes this letter in part to encourage people to look at 3, verse 17, just over the page, to be on your guards so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. For Peter, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. It's hard to be on your guard, isn't it, if you don't know what you're looking for. And so in chapter 2, Peter is going to introduce us to the lawless men, so that we might be ready for them. So firstly then, we see that these false teachers are people who look like they belong, or perhaps that should be belonged, to the church. You see, these false teachers don't come with a sign above their head that says false teacher. 
Uh, in our culture now, we have warnings about everything, don't we? Every little thing has a warning. And I wonder sometimes with a false teacher, we expect them to preface what they say with, this is wrong, by the way, this is false. Or some sort of alarm or light that flashes when people say things that aren't true. That's not the way it works, is it? First one, these false teachers introduce their teaching secretly. It's subtle. They slip it under the radar of orthodoxy. And once upon a time, these false teachers looked like Christians. Just look at verse 20. These men had escaped the corruption of the world. It looked like they knew the Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. See, once upon a time, it looked like these men belonged to God's people, part of the family. Perhaps they would have described themselves as evangelical, Bible-believing Christians. Perhaps they would have had very successful teaching ministry, being the pastor of a large church, written books, bestsellers. But, verse 20, what's happened? Well, they've become entangled again by the world and have turned away from faith. The sad truth in 2 Peter 2 is that just because someone once believed the truth doesn't mean they will always believe the truth. And I think, understandably, we can sometimes be quite slow to recognise that because, understandably, if you've been wonderfully shaped by a pastor or a teaching ministry or a church or, or a book, then naturally we're going to assume the best in that person or ministry. We'll remember their commitment to truth in the past or the example of their life and all of our being will want to hold them in the highest regards. But just because someone once taught the truth doesn't mean they will always teach the truth. These false teachers, verse 22, are like a dog that returns to its vomits or a sow that's been washed and yet goes back to it's, it's mud. I don't know if any of you have ever seen a dog vomit and then eat it. It's a pretty repulsive image, isn't it? It's disgusting. See, Peter wants us to see that what these false teachers are doing is repulsive. And also, it's worth remembering that in this culture, pigs and dogs were vile creatures. That's how they were seen. They were, they were unclean creatures. However much you try and clean up a pig, it's not going to stay clean long, is it? I think Peter's saying, look, these false teachers, they might look like they've cleaned themselves up. They might have looked like they belong, but eventually their true colours would show through and they'd go back to where they're most comfortable False teachers look like they belonged. So we need to be on our guard. Secondly, false teachers are those who distort the truth to suit their sensual desires. Look closely at verses 1 to 3. Verse 1, these false teachers speak destructive heresies. They deny the sovereign Lord. They deny God as king. Verse 2, they bring the truth into disrepute. They question it. They make it look bad, unattractive, perhaps even unethical. How do they do that? Well, verse 3, they tell stories that they've made up. 
stories. Not bit truth, but fabrications, lies of their own making. And you think, why would someone do that? Why would someone make up stories? Well, in short, it's because they want to serve themselves. Just look at verse 3. It's because in their greed. Or verse 14, these teachers are described as experts in greed. These teachers make up the stories because it's beneficial to them. It's beneficial because it enables them to satisfy their sensual desires. Verse 10, they follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature. Or verse 13, their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylights. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. Some translations also translate verse 2, shameful ways, and filthy in verse 7 as sensual. Sensual desires weave all the way through this chapter. These false teachers make up stories in order to serve their guts and their groin. And this, of course, makes them incredibly arrogant, doesn't it? Verse 10. They despise authority. Or verse 18, they mouth empty, boastful words. How do you spot a false teacher? Well, if you look close enough at their ministry, you'll see that it's all about them. But the thing is, their personal indulgence doesn't stop there, because thirdly, these men seduce and exploit people in order to satisfy themselves. Verse 3, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they've made up. Verse 14, with eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. Perhaps the easiest example of this to spot uh, is the prosperity gospel teachers. There are churches around the world, mega churches, with pastors who earn thousands, millions of dollars a year, who perhaps have a private jet or a luxury yacht or a Rolls Royce. And how have they got that money? Well, what they've done is often exploited, they're often poor congregations, with a message of, if you give your money to me, then God will bless you back in abundance. It's not true. It's false teaching. I can think of another church leader in this country who, as he was growing his Big church used his power and influence to seduce and exploit women into bed with him. Perhaps more common are teachers who are so concerned about their status, their own reputation, that they distort the truth of the gospel in order to seduce people, in order for them to follow them, to build their influence and status. And any aspect of the Bible's teaching that's going to be unpopular well, that's just disregarded as out of date, culturally irrelevant. Or perhaps it's more subtly just ignored. See, we must be on, on our guard against false teachers like this because thirdly, the sad, or fourthly, the sad reality is that they are easily followed. Verse 2, and this is striking. Many 
many will follow their shameful ways. In certain parts of the world, the prosperity gospel is huge. You think, of course these false teachers are popular. If you want to believe in a God, what could be better than a God that allows you and perhaps encourages you to embrace your sinful desires? A God that tells you what you want to hear. A God that doesn't demand anything from you. A God that allows you to express the narrative of your life with, without ever asking you to change or adapt. Of course that gospel's popular. And as long as that sort of teaching is expressed in a stylistically contemporary way, so it doesn't come across as outdated, many, many will follow, and many do. In his commentary on 2 Peter, Dick Lucas says this. He says, in 2 Peter, alarm bells are ringing. Churches may be attacked from without to the point of near destruction, as evidenced in Iran, Sudan and North Korea. But almost more deadly still is that self-destructive madness that operates within the churches as a direct consequence of the ruinous heresies secretly introduced into the mainstream of church teaching. See, in the evangelical church, perhaps we don't always see the full-on expression of false teaching and heresy, but what we do see is its fruits. We see churches and teachers who have so watered down the truth of God's words to make it more palatable to our culture. And the problem is, once you've started on that road, inevitably it ends up to losing truth completely. Let me, um, let me give you an example of, uh, that hopefully brings some of these things together. Uh, Vicky Beeching was at one time the sort of face of charismatic evangelicalism. She was a, a musician, a worship leader. She regularly used to lead worship at Spring Harvest, and she toured around the UK and the US. And in 2014, uh, Vicky came out as gay, and since then has been a very prominent LGBT activist. And she argues passionately that a practicing homosexual lifestyle is, is not incompatible with faith. They go together. She's just released a book called uh, Undivided, which is an autobiographical account of her experience. And if you've read or heard Vicky speak, you will know that her story is a powerful one. She talks about the the difficulty and pain of hiding who she was. She talks about the shame that she felt when she finally came out and the isolation and abuse that she suffered as a result. And she talks powerfully about her mental health and physical health issues, all bound up together with her sexuality. And as you read or hear her story, it is hard not to feel compassion and sympathy. And we should feel those things. Her experience has been painful and troubling, 
But she blames all of that at the door of the evangelical Bible teaching church. And she writes and speaks so well that it's easy to begin to think that maybe she's right. Maybe it is our fault. One of the striking things about Vicky's book is that she desires to serve God. She writes this, I needed to step out and be my authentic self. I knew God's voice was the one I must follow. And I think she sums up her perspective when she says this, what is crucial though is this, we need to love and accept who we are. It's about making peace with ourselves. Or as she says elsewhere, God longs for us simply to be ourselves. Uh, my tutor um, at Vicar Factory in uh, Oxford, Andrew Athstone, has written a blog where he reviews Vicky's uh, book and he says this about this motto, God longs for us to simply be ourselves. He says, that is a remarkable motto. More akin to a pet talk from a life coach and shows the theological gulf between her current position and the gospel as she originally received it. Jesus does not say, be yourself. He commands us to be born again. Now, please don't hear me wrong. There is much that, as a church, we need to learn from Vicky's experience. As a church, we must be compassionate and gracious. We must be sensitive to the many issues that surround sexuality, shame, mental health problems. But... At the same time, we must not allow the cultural narrative of our time or even people's individual stories to dictate how we teach and apply scripture today. Because that is the heart of false teaching. Why has Vicky written her book? Well, because she wants others to view things how she does. She wants her views to be vindicated, affirmed, She wants the church's teaching to be exposed. And although she does appear to write humbly, what she's trying to do is to seduce people. I know that sounds harsh, but to seduce people to her view. And sadly, I suspect that many will follow her ways. Now look, 2 Peter 2 is a difficult chapter. Perhaps it's a hard one to take, a hard one to hear, but it is important for us to hear. As we reflect on 2 Peter 2, we perhaps we could feel a bit depressed by the, the state of the world and the direction it's going. And this chapter does give, I think, a very healthy dose of biblical realism about what we can expect the church to be like until Christ returns. But we shouldn't be too discouraged or without hope. Because in chapter 2, we also see that God assures us, chapter 2 assures us that God will judge the false teachers and save the godly. And I think that's what verses 4 to 9 are all about. We haven't got time to look at them in detail. But whether it was the first angels who rebelled against God right at the beginning of creation, or the people who lived in Noah's time, or the residents of Sodom and Gomorrah, God has always consistently punished the ungodly. Not only that, but we see in God's rescue of righteous men like Lot and Noah, 
We see that and so we can conclude, verse 9, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteousness for the day of judgment. See, we are not without hope. We can be assured that God will judge false teachers and will save the godly. Peter also uses um, the example of Balaam in verses 15 and 16. Again, we've not got time to look at it in depth, but you can, you can read about him in Numbers 22 to 24. Now, Balaam was supposed to be a prophet to God's people, but he wasn't very good. And he wasn't very good because he was prepared to accept money from an enemy king to curse God's people. So Peter describes Balaam as someone who loved the wages of wickedness. He was greedy for money. And then in Numbers 22, you have this great incident where Balaam is brought to sense by a talking donkey. It's brilliant. It's funny. At least temporarily, anyway. He gets himself together. And Peter's saying, look, these false teachers are the new Balaams. They love the wages of wickedness. They are greedy. But just as God brought Balaam to his senses, so God will do the same today. Only this time, I think God uses his church. So, as we conclude, let me finish with three ways that I think 2 Peter encourages us to be on our guard. The firstly is this, remember God's testimony. Just look uh, forward slightly to 3 verse 2, chapter 3 verse 2. Peter says, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Peter says, look, there's false teaching around, guard your hearts, remember God's testimony. Know the scriptures. And that's why, as we looked at last week, Peter gives a passionate defense of the authority and origin of scripture in the second half of chapter 1. He's saying, if you're going to trust this, you need to be confident that it is God's words and true. And remember, look at verse 14. It is the unstable who are seduced by false teaching. Uh, unstable here, I think, can mean all sorts of things, but uh, not least, it's the idea of people who haven't put down deep roots into God's words. So I think the challenge to us this morning is this, is read your Bibles. <laughs> Welcome back to Sunday school. Read your Bibles. But don't just assume that you know what Scripture says. Don't just believe something because it's said here from the front of St Mary's. Be certain that you know what Scripture says and teaches. And yes, that should rightly be shaped by what's said here. But if you don't personally know what Scripture says, then you will always struggle to spot false teaching. And you'll be in danger of being blown by the next cultural winds that hits us. Remember God's testimony. Secondly, and this point isn't in the handout if you're following along, Remember, false teaching is useless. Look at verse 17. 
These men are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. You know in some of the heat we've had recently, you're desperate for a drink, you find a well. What good is a well without water? It's useless. You see, these false teachers promise the world but deliver nothing. Look at verse 19. They promise freedom. That is what's held out to the people of God. Come and experience freedom. Only what do they deliver? They deliver slavery. Slavery to depravity. Slavery to a sensual lust and desire that can never be quenched. Because it's only the gospel, it is only Jesus that gives true freedom. It's only Jesus that brings life. And that life is only found in the apostolic testimony to us. So to wander away from the gospel of Peter and the other apostles and to wander away from Jesus is not to life, it's not to freedom, it's to slavery. False teaching is useless. I think that's why Peter finishes his whole letter as he does. So thirdly, God, we need to guard ourselves by growing in grace and knowledge. And that's 3.18. So if you don't want to be sucked in by false teaching, then you need to know the grace and the goodness of God to us in Christ. You need to be able to trust that he is good. And what he gives you in Christ is good. So grow in your knowledge of your Lord and Saviour. And by that, Peter doesn't just mean knowledge about him, facts about Jesus. No, he means grow in knowing him. For as you grow in understanding his nature, his character, his love, his faithfulness, his redemption well, then you will find yourself growing in love for him. And as you grow in love for him, you will be less inclined to follow the adulterous path of the false teachers and instead remain faithful to Christ. Let's pray. Loving Father, gracious gods. This chapter is a, a sobering chapter about the state of the church, and we've barely scratched the surface. We do pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a church family here that are on guard. Please, Lord, would you protect us from being seduced and exploited by false teachers, please help us to cling on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we pray, please help us to grow in knowledge and grace as we go on walking with you. Amen.